Western culture is not interested in saying God is at work. God is working things out. And for many of us, we struggle with the same thing, don't we? We have situations and circumstances and we're like, man, how's this ever going to work? What? I mean, I, this is just horrible. But as followers of Jesus, we grab hold of these things with the eyes of faith and we say, Lord, I know that you're real and I don't understand what you're doing, but teach me to trust and not be afraid. In a television drama, there are a lot of players. The stories are interesting because of the myriad motivations, actions, and emotions between all the people involved. And that's where Pastor Daniel will take us today as we begin this study in Esther. Listen and try to find yourself in this historical, real drama, hearing how God uses the flaws, sins, and gifts of people to affect change. Our faithfulness to Him is always the goal. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, The Bachelor. What if I told you I had a great idea for a script for a movie? It's going to involve a young woman who's going to be the, the main character. She's going to be the protagonist of the movie. And sure enough, by a mixture of natural giftings, maybe something that seems like happenstance, she's going to find herself in a position to be able to save a whole group of people from a very evil man. You think that would be a good movie? That's pretty much the, the script for The Hunger Games, Divergent. There's been a whole lot of movies, right? That's the script. And the beauty of that script, of course, is like a lot of things, they got that business right out of the Bible. Because in a lot of ways, that is exactly what the book that we're going to be begin studying today over the next couple of months is about. It's about a woman with a natural set of gifts in the right place at the right time to save a group of people from somebody who is self-consumed and deluded. And you guys know that's the book of Esther. Now, I want to tell you one interesting fact about the book of Esther before we begin, and that's that the word God or is not in there, not one time. Esther's the only book in the Bible that God is not mentioned. And that's really curious, isn't it? You would think, well, it's the Bible. It's the book about God. And what you need to know from the beginning is that God is at work all over the book of Esther. Like, in some ways, you can't miss God's at work, but God's working is never acknowledged or... It's not overt in that way. And I think that that might be maybe the main reason for us to study it is because God is always at work, but oftentimes we don't really acknowledge what God is doing. 
that God is perpetually at work. I mean, in God we live and move and have our being. The details and the circumstances of our life, your life and my life, are actually in the hands of God. God is orchestrating circumstances and details in our life, things that we could never even have dreamed of. But oftentimes we think it's happening by chance or for no reason. If you're here today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, there's no such thing as happenstance. Nothing happens by chance. And the key for us is to learn how to acknowledge it even when our culture won't. Because it's not a cultural value to acknowledge God. 21st century Western culture is not interested in saying God is at work. God is working things out. And for many of us, we struggle with the same thing, don't we? We have situations and circumstances and we're like, man, how's this ever going to work? What? I mean, I, this is just horrible. But as followers of Jesus, we grab hold of these things with the eyes of faith and we say, Lord, I know that you're real and I don't understand what you're doing, but teach me to trust and not be afraid. So with that, open up in your Bibles to the book of Esther, chapter one, as we begin a series here in the book of Esther. So you have a new hashtag, the number four, such a time. The book of Esther is in about the first third of your Bible, and it sits right before Psalms and then Job, and then there's the book of Esther. So Psalms is the largest book in your Bible, 150 songs. That's what a psalm is. Then the book of Job is rather large, and then you have Esther. It sits between Job and the book of Nehemiah. We're actually literally going to try and go through two chapters today. Now, don't giggle and don't be scared. But in a lot of ways, the book of Esther, it's a fascinating book to teach because it's a story and it tells an entire story. And it's pretty absent of teachings like, okay, here's a principle that I want you to grab hold of. Here's a principle I want you to grab hold of. There's no like, okay, here's Jesus speaking or here's God speaking to a prophet so we can. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull principles out of we have to find ourselves in the Esther story. Like we're going we're gonna to look at all the different people and what's going on and we're going to be pulling out things that we need to learn but there's no like blocks of teaching. It's such a strange thing, really. So I'm going to have some fun with it. I've entitled this message The Bachelor and uh, you'll see why because you guys have heard of the TV show The Bachelor. So, well, guess what? They got that out of the book of Esther too. They I'm not saying you should watch it, but they seriously got it out of the book of Esther. It's right here. So we're going to jump right on in. I'm going to read you a lot. I'm going to explain a lot of different things, but you'll see what's going on here. Look what it says in verse 1 of Esther chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this was the Ahasuerus who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia in those days when King Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which, is, which was in Sushan, the citadel, that in the third year of his reign, he made a feast for all his officials and the servants and the powers of Persia 
and Media, the nobles and the princes of the provinces being before him when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor, verse 4, of his excellent majesty for many days, 180 days in all. And when these days were completed, the king made a feast lasting seven days for all the people who were present in Shushan, the citadel, from great to small, in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were white and blue linen curtains fastened with cords of fine linen and purple on silver rods and marble pillars, and the couches were of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of alabaster, turquoise, and white and black marble. And they served drinks in golden vessels, each vessel being different from one another, with royal wine in abundance according to the generosity of the king. In accordance with the law, the drinking was not compulsory, for so the king had ordered that they should do according to each man's pleasure. Queen Vashti also made a feast for the women in the royal palace, which belonged to King Ahasuerus. Verse 10, on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mechumen, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagtha, Nethar, and I kid you not, Carcass, <laughs> seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus to bring Queen Vashti before the king wearing her royal crown in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials, for she was beautiful to behold. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command brought by his eunuchs. Therefore, the king was furious, and his anger burned within him. Now, here we have the, the setup for the story. We get a lot of details. It begins, it was in the days of Ahasuerus. Now, this was the Ahasuerus who reigned over 127 provinces from India and Ethiopia. Now, how many of you guys loved world history class in high school? What is wrong with you people? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm only kidding. I hated world history class. I remember in high school, I, I was just playing with my gum, and I'm like, I don't understand any of this. And I should have paid attention because all of it links up with our Bibles in a powerful way. So this is what you have to realize. If you think about it in biblical history, the children of Israel, right, they were settled in the land under Joshua. They had a series of judges. You have the book of Judges, and then they have a series of kings. First King Saul, then King David, and then King Solomon. And the empire, so to speak, the, the nation of the children of Israel was its largest under King Solomon. But then right after Solomon died, the kingdom split in the 10 northern tribes and the two southern tribes because King Solomon's son who took over was a knucklehead. That's pretty much what went on, right? And so you have the, the 10 northern tribes became known as Israel and the two southern tribes became known as Judea or Judah, right? Now, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings tells the story of these two tribes. And what you find is that Egypt was the first major world empire, right? Which, of course, the book of Exodus, we see Egypt being there. And then, along with history, then you have the Assyrian Empire comes on up, 
very, very uh, popular empire. And they conquered the 10 northern tribes. And that conquering, that's how the Samaritans came to be. The Assyrians conquered the 10 northern tribes, right? Then after the Assyrians, the Babylonians come up. Now, modern-day Babylon is in Iraq. So, you know, this is a part of the world that we think about today, right? The Babylonians come up. And the Babylonians, they conquered Jerusalem. Jeremiah's preaching at the time of that siege, right? And the children of Israel go into exile in Babylon, for about 70 years, uh, the prophet Daniel is speaking into that. Ezekiel is speaking into that. There's a lot of prophets who are part of that exile period, right? Now, if you remember in the book of Daniel, God decides that the reign of the Babylonians is over. And remember the handwriting on the wall story in the book of Daniel? The Babylonians were conquered by an empire that was called the Medo-Persian Empire, the Medes and the Persians. Now, the Persians today is modern-day Iran, right? So after Iraq, so to speak, Babylon was an empire. Then the Medo-Persians conquered the Babylonian empire and took over their land. Now, King Ahasuerus, he was the second king or the second leader of the Medo-Persian empire. First was uh, Darius or Darius, depending on your preferred syllabification, Right? And now you have this guy, Ahasuerus, who goes down in history as a man called Xerxes. You guys remember that from, everybody remembers Xerxes from world history. It's the one guy with the coolest name in history. It's got an X. I remember I tried to start a band called Xerxes. It never got anywhere. Not the name or the band. But I remember because I started reading yesterday, I'm like, who's this King Ahasuerus? Sure enough, he was known as King Xerxes. And he reigned from 486 to 465. So you have Cyrus the Great, Darius, and then you have Xerxes. That's how it went. Now, what we find out here is that his empire goes all the way from India to Ethiopia. So northern Africa all the way over into India. So if you think about that on a map, it's a long span. He's got a huge empire, right? And we find out that he's, in those days, in verse 2, he sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the citadel, or some of your translation says Susa. And really, a citadel was a fortified palace. And so what you find in that culture, like you know how today in America, the president hangs out at the White House, and no matter what season it is, they're in the White House. And that's the beauty of air conditioning and a lot of other things. Right? But in ancient cultures, the, there was a number of palaces, depending on if it was summertime or wintertime, and the, the king or the emperor would move to different palaces. So at this point, he's in Susa, the citadel, which is a, a fortified palace. And what we find out is that in the third year of his reign, right, he decides he's going to have a feast for all of the kings, for all the people, right? And we find out that this party lasts 180 days in all. So this is a six-month party. It sounds like the people who run governments, right? We're just going to party for six months. <laughs> sounds good, right? Let, let's have a blast. But that's what's going on. There's a six-month party. Now, at the end of this party, what you find out is he decides he's going to have not just a party for all the nobles people, but he's going to have a party for everyone who is in Susa or Sushen, depending on what your translation says. So they invite everybody. It would be like if, if Mayor Tim Levitt here in Vancouver said, we're going to have a seven-day party for everyone who lives in Vancouver, right? 
That's what goes on. So a seven-day party. And then they start to explain the party. And really what you find is that the, the Medo-Persian Empire was very well-to-do. You get this whole thing about the decorations. Those of you who like interior design, you have some, some, some ancient stuff to work with here. You find out about beautiful colored curtains and drapes. Purple in that culture. I'm wearing purple today because I know I was going to preach on it. Because purple was, it was a, a sign of royalty. And purple was very, very expensive to buy in that culture. And so the fact that there was purple hanging from silver rods is significant. You find out that all the couches were of gold and silver. That's a strange material for your couch to be. Right? It's like maybe leather or pleather or stitched or whatever. But I said pleather in church. That's right. We're sophisticated here at Crossroads. It's good. But gold and silver couches. And the floor, we find out, is a mosaic of alabaster turquoise and white and black marble. Like, so this is some gaudy business. Like, this palace is beautiful. That's what we find. And then the king brings out golden goblets for everyone to drink wine in. No goblets the same. And what that means is that there's this huge party, everybody's there, and everybody has their own unique gold glass of wine. And the king brings out his entire wine, all the wine that you can imagine. And it, and it makes a note that the drinking was not compulsory, which means everyone didn't have to drink because the law, they couldn't do it. But there was more wine and goblets. So this is a, we would call it in this generation, a rager. This is a rager. And if you don't know what that means, praise God. <laughs> but that's what this is, right? Now we find out also that Queen Vashti, the queen Right? King Ahasuerus' wife, her name is Vashti, she's having, a, he's, she's having a party for the girls. Now, that might seem strange, but in that culture, it was a lot more normal where the men would have one party and the girls would have another. But listen, it's not really that strange, though, because you know what it's like when you get a whole bunch of guys and girls together, right? The guys end up around the TV watching the football game. Kind of? Does that happen? And, and, and the gals hang out in another area... Stereotypically, it's that way. Not for everybody. I know some of the girls like to watch football, and some of the guys like to talk about the interior decoration. I realize it's sophisticated culture, but, but it happens that way, right? Where it's like the, the groups kind of segregate off, and, they're, and so they're having this party, right? And Vashti's having her own party. Now, what we find out in verse 10 is this is where the, the plot starts to thicken. Because what goes on is, on the seventh day, we find out that King Ahasuerus is merry with wine. That is the biblical way of saying he was drunk. Okay, so he's drunk, right? And he brings in all of his wise guys, right? We have these mehumen. Now, you know what the beauty about biblical names are? You learn this when you're a Bible teacher, is that you just say the name like you know how it's meant to be syllabified, and then everybody believes it. And if you're in the South, it may be mehem, you know? I mean, everyone's got a different way to syllabify the name. But either way, these are some ancient names, and these seven eunuchs who serve the king, Right? And he calls them in. He says, listen, this is what I want you to do. My wife, she's beautiful. And I want to show her off. Right? So he says, I want you to go get my wife, Queen Vashti. I want to show off how beautiful she is. Right? Now, you want to know the principle? that we can learn from King Ahasuerus right now? Don't be dumb. <laughs> you write that down. Don't be dumb. Now, I'm... <laughs> I'm using specific language because, can we be honest? 
Xerxes is being dumb right now, right? He's drunk, right? And he decides he wants to objectify his wife in front of everybody there because she's so beautiful. And really, we could say, oh, King Ahasuerus, yeah, he's a bad dude. But, but let's be, don't we all do dumb stuff? I mean, how often, how often is our life made challenging because we chose to be dumb? Am I, can I see a show of hands? Yeah. And for those of you whose hands are down, that was dumb. Because <laughs> we all are prone to doing dumb stuff. None of what's going to go on is going to happen. But King Ahasuerus is not making good decisions. He's not being smart. He's being dumb. And so we can learn from this. You got to ask yourself, how am I being dumb right now? Like, what am I doing that just in the long run is not smart? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Why am I doing this? Now, in King Ahasuerus's case, he had been drinking, and so that will impair his judgment. But for a lot of us, we have to think about what impairs our judgment. Sometimes wanting to be liked impairs our judgment. Wanting to be right impairs our judgment. Wanting to succeed, however we quote that, however we look at that. See, a lot of us make bad decisions. And notice I'm saying us and not you because I'm primed for making dumb decisions too. But we have these reasons that we end up doing dumb stuff. Because we feel, oh, I can't believe they would do that and I'm going to show them. That's a dumb reason to do anything. You're going to show somebody. Because you know what happens after you show them? You realize that what you did was dumb, right? Like, why did I even do that? Like, I was, my pride got hurt. This thing happened, that thing happened. So don't be dumb. And I say that because I realize that all of us have a great capacity to be dumb, to make decisions for the wrong reasons in the wrong situation. And so what I want you to do is I want you to encourage one another that if you notice someone's doing something dumb, you need to look at one another and say, don't be dumb. Because you know what the problem when you're being dumb is? You don't know it often, right? Don't be dumb. And it's not unloving. It's not judgmental. It's just straight up honest. Like someone should have told the king, like, king, listen, that's not so cool to do to your wife. Like you got, you've been drinking. You, you, you just got to, sh- oh, look how beautiful my wife is. Why would you do that? It doesn't honor her. It doesn't honor your guests. It definitely doesn't honor you. It's not very royal of you. What are you doing? He was just being drunk and dumb. So it's a good lesson, isn't it? You got to ask yourself, and maybe you got to ask the people close to you, is there anything that I'm doing that's dumb? And you know what the beauty is? If you ask them, they'll tell you. They've been waiting, you know, and if you ask your spouse that one, that's kind of a scary one because they've been, they've been trying to tell you. That's the beauty of a spouse, right? They'll be like, oh, yeah, man, you know, you really probably shouldn't do that. And then you're like, am I doing anything dumb? Remember the thing I've been telling you for like the last five years? Don't be dumb. Jesus is real. Well, thanks again for joining us for today's edition of Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco. The Christmas season is a time for family and friends, but it can be stressful. The list of things to do can be daunting, and finding just the right gift can be a challenge as well. 
Have you thought about giving God's Word? Giving the gift of God's Word is the perfect gift for anyone. We might have just what you need. Throughout the month of December, we would like to offer three special Christmas messages on a single CD to anyone who supports the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $25 or more. These special Christmas messages are entitled A Housing Crisis, O Christmas 3, and Peace. To support Jesus Is Real Radio, log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the Partner option in the main menu. Again, for anyone who supports Jesus Is Real Radio with a gift of $25 or more through the month of December, we will send you a single CD with three special Christmas messages. A Housing Crisis, O Christmas 3, and Peace. So log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and select Partner from the main menu. To help support Jesus Is Real Radio, and we'll send you a special Christmas CD as a thank you. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.